Welcome to Employee of the Month. Here's your host, Katie Lazarus. Hi, hi, hi. Welcome back to Employee of the Month. On this episode, I sat down with Jimmy Dore, who is a political comedian. He's a comedian and he's really invested in politics. And I know that where most people grow up, they're not supposed to talk about politics. Where I grew up in DC, my parents work in politics. That was all we ever spoke about. And actually that's all anyone ever fought about. Uh, And so I grew up with the understanding that like, just don't talk about the weather. Like whatever you do in life, don't be boring. And that is true in life, but that is not true in the corporate world. So I was really psyched to sit down with Jimmy, who's managed to uh, work in the corporate world, places like Viacom, Comedy Central, and that's because he's funny. Like when he talks about politics, it's funny. I do get very irritated by uh, talk radio in general, and so it's always like delightful to meet the diamonds in the rough, like Jimmy, uh, who make it fun and make me want to re-engage with the political process. I'm someone who like reads the paper every single day, but sometimes doesn't want to hear my own opinion on it. Never mind someone else's who I think might not be any smarter. Uh, luckily, he makes it accessible. He makes anger permissible and uh, <laughs> the desire to want to make a difference accessible. And at the very least, it's just cathartic because he's just funny. He's just funny. Sort of like these voices. These voices can seem very funny if you're taking the right lubricants. Here's my interview with Mr. Jimmy Dore. Only in retrospect do I realize how successful I was quickly when I moved to Los Angeles. You know, when I, by successful, I mean on television, doing comedy, on Comedy Central. You always look at the lack. Like it's when you're in Los Angeles, there's always 10 million people more successful than you, and they have pictures of them up all around the streets. You I think they com- do that to, like, hurt your feelings. Because like, I, like, walk around, I'm like... Do we really need to be reminded that, like, Girls is the number one show on television? Like, was there any confusion? Or, like, do you really need to know, you know, that Louis C.K. is, like, a really huge popular comedian? I mean, like, better them than someone who I disrespect or, like, America's Got Talent better them than the posters of that kind of stuff? There might be some... You don't mind if I put my my feet over there? We are in a teeny uh, audio booth because this is... um, We're recording in Los Angeles um, at Six Point Harness, which is an animation studio. So, Jimmy Dore, you started your comedy career doing stand-up. I like these walls, though. They look soft. It's kind of fun, right? I'm leaning it like I'm... For people who have never been in voiceover booths, they're just like these cushioned, walled little forts, but for grown-ups. Yes. That's what I feel like Mm -hmm. they are. And so hot that if you have any questions about whether you're going through menopause, male or female, this is a good way to figure it out. Um... So you started in stand-up right away. You, you, yes. You grew up. Sure. I, I don't feel like I've ever grew I don't think you grow up until you have your own kids, and I haven't, Do so you, I don't feel like I've grown up all the way. But you're not planning to have children. Um, not with my wife. <laughs> Are there a... All right. Well, this is a show about work, so <laughs> I'll stay away from that. So in, in all seriousness, what propelled you to break into comedy? In all seriousness, it was always like this dream that I didn't even allow myself to dream. You know, I used to, I was classic, one of those guys, the youngest boy. I had seven. Of 12 kids? So there's 12 kids. I was 11. I had one little sister, and I had six older brothers. So I was the youngest boy. And so I had to turn to comedy to get attention, just like everybody does. And uh, so I used to, I remember watching Johnny Carson and waiting for the comedian and never understanding why do you keep the best part of the show? Obviously <laughs> the best part of the show. Uh, like it wasn't even close. The, the whole show, they're trying to be as funny as this guy's going to be, 
when right. he comes out. Right. All the whole show was like if he gets off one good line for the whole show, it's like, wow, that's gonna go on the best of tape, you know? Right. And I'm like, why? I could never understand. And I would fall asleep most of the time before the comedian. And I'm like, why don't they have it every night? I, it was just the craziest thing. I didn't realize that what Johnny Carson was doing was supposed to be stand-up, too, when he came out and did a monologue. I didn't realize. I was like, why do they do this? I didn't understand why they did that. But isn't that interesting? Because uh, oftentimes the hosts aren't necessarily as funny. If I mean, I would say the majority most of the, of the time. time. Most of yeah. the Yes. The, the, well, because they're doing all brand new jokes, and this guy's kind of going to come out. He's usually a better comedian than the host of the talk show. And um, except for when they went on The Tonight Show, there was no better comedian, I don't think, than Jay Leno. You would never know it by watching his show. But that's so interesting because I think most people don't know that 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 stand-up comics will often talk about how funny Jay Leno. He was the best. He was such an inspiration to me. He was one of the guys who made me want to be a comedian. Do you feel that way now? You're shaking your head. You know, it, you know, I used to make fun of Jay publicly and stuff like that, just because it hurt so bad. Because he was really my hero. Like, really. Like, I was so excited that they were giving him The Tonight Show. I was so excited. And I dreamt of being on there with him. And this is all going to work. And then I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. He's, he sucks now. But wait till they give it to him. And I just kept thinking he's going to get better. He'll, he'll relax. He'll sit back in his chair at some point. And he'll let the guest be funny. And he never did. He just never did. It's such an interesting shift. Because, I mean, I, I consistently hear from comics how funny he was. And unfortunately, because I... Um, I'm younger and didn't grow up doing stand-up with him or in audiences seeing him. I have only seen this man who's like neither funny nor seems to enjoy the company of people. So I can't quite understand why he hosts a show. I will say this, you know, uh, I'll, give, I'll give, this is not, I'm in my uh, my benevolent period. So I'm, I'll give him props, you know. he had When he had on Mitt Romney, he really did a great job. He really exposed Mitt Romney for this, you know, empty suit that he is. Well, that's interesting, too, because Jay Leno is very conservative. Jay Leno, conservative. and he's non-political. You know, well, I mean, he's a huge donor to the Republican Party. Is he? Yeah. Oh, I don't know that, but I just know that he he does he does that thing where I just try to play it right down the middle, you know? It, there's The people who say that, I, Brian Williams, by the way, is one of those guys who says that. Uh, I just try to play it right down the middle. He told that to Jimmy Fallon one night. You know, Jimmy, I'm like you. I play it right down the middle. I can't pick a side. Well, there is no two sides to the truth, Brian Williams. There's just the fucking truth, okay? So why do you pretend like the truth has two sides, which it doesn't? That's not balance. I'm going to give you the truth, and I'm going to balance it with a bunch of bullshit. What would Brian Williams or what would Jay Leno do if they were comedians in England? There's three parties. There's no down the fucking middle. But also, I, don't, I mean, I don't believe that there's one truth. I believe that there's so many truths. I don't believe that there, there's two parties that are equal. Just you Let's know. just relax and enjoy my point for a while. Because okay, that was pretty good. <laughs> well, let's talk about that a little bit. I want to. Well, I first want to like let viewers know that you are this very, very funny political comedian. And thank you. That I think I wouldn't say. I would. I would just say social critic. But you do all this stand up. You've been on Kilborn and yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm Kimmel saying com- and, oh, comedian. Yeah, but yeah. people say political comedian, and I get afraid that it makes people think that I'm going to be wonky when I go on stage. Well, I actually was worried about the opposite. So I'm worried about uh, political comedians either being too glib or uh, sort of preaching to the converted. And I think, you know, part of the reason you're here is because you're so funny first and foremost. Oh, you know what to say. And then, you you know, thoughtful. And that, I think, is a very tricky line. So one, I was going to ask, like, how have you ever made jokes that you felt in retrospect? God, that that was too glib on the subject. Or do do you struggle with, like, how do I... I struggle with lots of stuff. You know... The big, you know, what big, are the things you struggle with? You feel well. Like? What I, you know, what I like about it, nightclubs, 
is that still to this day, there's stuff that you can say in a nightclub that you can't say even on HBO. Like what? You can't, you know, it would be cons- like, for instance, and so I've had, I've struggled with the word retarded. Yeah. I, I don't want to. Are you pro retarded? Are you <laughs> con retarded? Well, about using the word, I, I was pro. And then I was like, oh, I get it. It's bad. And like, you could, that's just why, why do you got to pick on somebody who's already disadvantaged? Why do you got to make them feel badly? But then I thought, well, but I'm not saying it to them. I, I wouldn't go up to a person who's, uh, uh, what do they call them now? Uh, you can say, I mean, I am against the word retarded, not because I'm against the word. I believe it exists. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that people can be retarded, meaning that they can be developmentally delayed. Right. Um, but I think what it conjures up for people can sometimes be a glib overgeneralization where uh-huh. specificity would help. Right. So, I mean, so my thing like is... you may be talking to someone who's retarded and not realize it. So if I was in if mixed... If you're in a com- nightclub. If I was in mixed company... A mixed company meaning like off stage people who are disabilities I, I, I people who don't I wouldn't say no just like <laughs> off stage yeah non comics yeah around me yeah I wouldn't use the word retarded because I don't know if this kid has this guy has a mentally challenged kid or what do they call them is that what they call them I thought you were gonna say I don't I I don't know but I thought you were gonna say because if I'm around comedians I know they're retarded <laughs> <laughs> so you just used it in that's a right fun, in a funny way so my thing so then I was on stage. And this one guy actually at the Young Turks, to, who, to, whose kid has Down syndrome, he says, you know, it hurts their feelings and it's offensive. And I go, yeah, but it really has a big impact. It's a word that really has it. And uh, he goes, yeah, well, so does the N word. And I'm like, those, I don't know if that's this great analogy. So I just struggling with this. So I was on stage one night and I had stopped saying the, our retarded word, right? So, uh, and then one night I said it. I said it in Cincinnati and it got a huge laugh. And I'm like, all these people can't be assholes. They la- I use this word. And, la- and the thing was, I thought was there's no re- I'm not there's no kids. There's no mentally handicapped. people. But you there. don't know that that people. First of all, you don't know that. So to me, it's politically incorrect to say it. I said it. And it was like a release, I think, because people don't know what to say anymore. It's that thing of uh, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I just don't know what to say. You know, I mean, I love talking about what is, what feels comfortable to talk about and what doesn't feel comfortable to talk about. And yeah, I can joke about it. I can joke about retarded, but it doesn't. But ultimately, I don't think that was the best joke I could have made. Is what it comes down to. Like the idea that some people don't know or do know or it's politically incorrect. I think that in and of itself is silly. Like you're not phrasing your sentences based on some like thought that you have about how other people perceive the world. If you did. Um, nothing thoughtful would come out of your mouth. I mean, I, you have to make decisions for yourself. Right. And I don't I don't want to pick on the least among us. I always hate comedy that punches downward. That's my least favorite kind of comedy. I think comedy should, you know, should always punch upward. Yeah. So, so that's what, that's my, where my comedy, I always find that I try to stick up for the least among us in my comedy. And that's what I think is funny when people are angry at poor people. That my, I have a, my brother, he's one of those guys who goes, that's what's wrong with our economy. Too yeah, many, you joke about it. Your too many poor lot. people bought houses they couldn't afford and they crashed our economy. Oh yeah, that's what happened, Danny. A bunch of people with no money and no power wrestled the economy away from Wall Street and General Electric and then crashed the motherfucker. Oh, if only the rich and powerful could insulate themselves from the penniless. There's gotta be a way. There's gotta be a way. So growing up growing up with 12 brothers, you've talked about being beaten and stuff by them, beat <laughs> up by them. Did it prepare you for showbiz? Do you feel like having that? No, it didn't prepare me for show business. What would have prepared me for show business was people t- teaching me how to be nice and send thank you cards. 
Really? Yeah, that would help you a lot more in show business. But having, no, people get afraid of, in show business, people are pussies, I think, in a lot of ways. And I, I grew up playing sports. I grew up, you know, boxing and wrestling and playing football. And so you could, you know, put your shoulder down and take the wind out of a guy and then you'd help him up and you'd go have a drink. Do you know what I mean? Like out here, if you raise your voice to people, they freak out. You know, because so it, because the culture he's like, oh, he's got anger problem. What r- really is this? What? Yeah, I, I just think it's a different culture. So people, it, what I, is the culture? It, uh, you know, it's a business culture, really. You know, you got to be nice to people, and you got to be. So that, it's more. I always thought talent would overcome. Like, oh, I'll just be funny, and then every somebody else will take care of everything for me. I'll just go be Jim Carrey or whatever. You know, I'll just be funny. Okay, but the irony here is like there's like different... By the way, I shouldn't have said... He's not, he's not one of my... Commi- I should have said George Carlin. That's who I... I don't That's know why I said worship. Jim Carrey. But no, I, no, I've but never... it's a good... No, no, no. I think it's a great example for this reason. There are these different versions of showbiz. There's the showbiz that we talk about that's very plastic. No one says no. Everyone's nice. Jimmy, you're brilliant. We can't wait to work for you. And then you don't hear from them. And then there's the showbiz of like Harvey Weinstein who's like throwing things at people and you have this, you know, stereotype of these overblown a-holes. Oh, so the guys with all the pulse. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that movie. What was that movie, The Shark? What was it where, with Kevin um, Spacey where he played an agent? And you remember that movie? Yes, what is it? I forget and what it's, it was. Shark something. Why doesn't Kevin Spacey come out of the closet? Um, so then there's that showbiz, right? Why where, do you think? You know, I, because I, of my, he wouldn't get the roles he gets. But that it, what's surprising to me is that and society in general is less ageist, less homophobic, less sexist, less prejudiced than the people who work in Hollywood. I mean, in my belief, I think that people would be much more open and accepting of differences than Hollywood believes that they would be. Um, and I think that's been consistently the, the way through, throughout. I just um, think tickets, you know, his, it would just be, ticket sales would definitely, I don't know, but now maybe it would be a big deal or the other way. Maybe it would help him. I think it probably would. So let's, let's, let's give. Um, but I'm not the smartest guy on stuff like that, so. Let's give the audience some context. When you started in stand-up, were you a very politically active then? You know, like people like Jon Stewart didn't become politically engaged until later. Well, what happened to me, I was a junior in high school or senior. And where was this? I went to St. Lawrence High School in Burbank, uh, Burbank, Burbank, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago on the southwest side. Tough blue collar, again, very blue collar uh, suburb. Anyway, so we went there as Catholic, and this guy had we had a class. It was called Current Events, and the uh, the textbook was the Time Magazine. And I'm reading, and I'm like, oh, this Reagan guy is kind of an asshole. And you would never know it. I kept thinking, wow, you'd never... I go, does anybody else read this magazine? <laughs> you know, I was like, doesn't Tom Brokaw read this magazine? How come they don't know about this guy? And I couldn't get my dad... Love. He was one of those guys. You know, my dad was a Reagan Democrat, right? Those people, you know, blue-collar guy. Yes. You know, and I would come home and I'd go, Dad, you know, he's taxing your your uh, uh, disability if you get hurt on the job. You know, he's taxing your retirement. You know, he's taxing... The, he's, he's screwing the little guy. He's shifting the tax burden to you. Right. And my dad didn't didn't matter. Didn't no, just would just ignore it, and that was the that's when I, that's what got me interested, because what people thought was happening and what was actually happening, a could be figured out by a sixteen-year-old, but no one did. Although Jimmy, <laughs> I would give you more credit because I've I've also heard you speak about your Catholic father bowing down to the bishop to the bishop when yeah, you were a, young. That was a tough day. And you were like five. No, I was I, I think I was seventh or eighth grade. Whenever so I apologize. Okay, so you were in seventh or eighth grade when you saw your father bow down to the bishop. Yes, he kneeled down. Kneeled down in front of a, the bishop of of Chicago, not and, of Canterbury, and kissed, for anyone and kissed his confused. ring. 
which is, you know, if you watch the Pope, which he's been on television a lot lately because he left the palace to go to another palace and they showed it on TV all day. And everywhere he goes, there's always about 20 guys kissing his ring, right? Yeah, they always kneel down and kiss his ring, which is the grossest thing. Hey, it's just so gross. It's so opposite what Jesus said to do. Jesus washed. And anyway. So uh, my dad did that, and I was just like, I knew that was wrong. It was just wrong, and I, it's just, I was, I think I was done being a Catholic right there. I think that ended religion for me. That and twelve years of Catholic school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You do some very, very funny jokes about. People religion. ask me, they go, "How come you you went to Catholic school for twelve years? How come you're not a Catholic?" Because I went to Catholic school for twelve <laughs> years. I got a good look at it. And I had it beaten out of me by God's little helpers. <laughs> well, that's what I was saying. Was it helpful to grow up with sort of people, you know, I mean, you've joked about being one of 12 children and how it didn't really matter if something were to happen to you. Your mother has 11 other kids. Yeah, yeah. People um, go, oh, you learn a lot about life growing up in a big family, don't you? Yeah, I think the biggest thing I learned is I'm easily replaced. <laughs> but that's what I was asking. Does that help you with showbiz knowing, hey, I'm easily replaceable. I better work really hard to stand out. Yes. Well, also being a white male in stand-up comedy, you know immediately, like, wow, how do I stand up? Oh, you got to find your voice. I'm like, what? What do you mean by voice? You know, I don't know. Any, it's just, it seems, it's really this un- insurmountable task. There's no way to, it's like jello, you know, trying to nail jello to a wall. Like, find my voice. What are you talking about? How would you describe your voice? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't. I, I would just say, I don't know. What's your point of view? I think it, it's, it's. Uh, I, I like to think of myself as a cross between uh, uh uh, Steve, like Steve Martin and George Carlin, I like to be silly, yes, and talk about things that we that affect us. Yeah, I like to talk about things that are affecting people: the healthcare, the banking situation, their houses are worth less than they were, their un- unemployment, all this stuff, right? The war, people, if you know, it, it, to me, that's what I like talking about. But I like to talk about it in a silly way. Like I tried to be Bill Hicks for a little while because he was my favorite comedian, and I realized that I can't be Bill Hicks. I, I had, you know, he had to be, he had to be who he was and, and I had to be who I was supposed to be. And I felt like if I was silly on stage, that was selling out somehow. But I'm like, that's me. That's more me than that was Bill was Bill. I got to be who I am. And it's okay. You know, sometimes I'm not silly on stage, but I like that. I like being goofy and being a jackass. I think it, it helps as an audience listener. Like I, I get very turned off by political comics who talk at you. And I really love you. I love Rachel Maddow. I love listening and hearing and learning things. And I was trying to articulate what the difference is where there are certain individuals who are so good at adding to the conversation. And I think you add with your lightness. Oh, that's very sweet of you to say. Does Thank that you make very sense much. what yes. I'm saying? Like, well, you know, that's and what... I didn't need to bring the progressive in it because the truth is it's just the <clears throat> preaching at you versus, uh, versus sh- shedding new light. Well, I like to do the uh, the Young Turks with Jenk Uger. Yes. When he's hosting, and I'm just uh, also uh, on a panelist because he does all the heavy lifting. You know, he talks about he t- he gets all the information out, and then I can just pot shot and do jokes, and it's so fun for me. It's so easy, and I can be serious if I want, and I can but I can be goofy all the time. I I don't have a burden of carrying the show, and when you have the burden of carrying the show, you know it, it, it it's hard to be funny. It's harder. I'm saying, well, please say it's harder. So it's like more draining. Total. People will tell me when they listen to my show, like, oh, it was really thoughtful. I learned a lot, but it wasn't always funny. And I was like, yeah, I know. I'm, I have to, like, explain to you who the person is. <laughs> I have to share what their work environment is. And frankly, like, a lot of comedy to me comes out of the uncomfortableness of life and the reality of life, where you find out that someone's making a lot more money than you thought. Or, um, in the case of Jimmy Dore, has teeny feet. I do have small feet for a man. But, but I do have, but I have nice fingers for a guy, too. 
So it's uh, this is based on objective and studies. a nice and a nice big thumb. Which you know what they say. So um, <laughs> we'll put it this way: you you're talking because Oprah kind of gave the, the seek that you know that kind of thinking a bad name. But there is you know it's 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 no doubt. I mean, I didn't make this. There's no doubt. People have known this since beginning of time that. Uh, you know, whatever you think about, whatever you put your thoughts on, that yes. is what will manifest. So a lot of people do the thing, they, they put their thoughts on what they don't want. Yes. And so they're always thinking of this thing I don't want. So they're going to attract that thing they don't want instead of putting their thoughts on the thing they want. This is true. I have no. been putting my thoughts on Javier Bardem for years. <laughs> and it has not manifested. <laughs> <laughs> so that th- that is true. And, and I think it it's probably 90% what it does to you because when if you put your thoughts on like uh like for instance i always my goal was when i got in comedy was to have an hour special i always thought that was that that was it like to me that was you did it you won the super bowl if you could if you did that as a comedian you were it that was and when it. was your first hour special so i did a half hour in 2003 yes and i did an hour in 2008 yes and, and then what happens after you've finally achieved so, this goal? You but it was because dreaming it was because I had my mind, like I knew I could do that. Like that was my, I kept my mind on that. Now a lot of my friends di- didn't do that, didn't accomplish that. That's because their their mind wasn't there. Their mind was on other but things. But I, I have trouble believing the idea that it's just up to you if you think and about it. And I worked my ass to off too. No, that, exactly, Jimmy. So there's that yes. part's missing from the equation. But then there's also two other parts that are missing from the equation. One is like... I mean, it's hard. What role does luck and life play in? I mean, I can't possibly look at someone who's growing up in a refugee camp and think if well, you put just it this think way. positive thoughts. Put it this way. If so, let's put it. I'll put it this way. So, I'm. Uh, if you go out and do comedy, you move to Los Angeles as a stand-up comic, and if you go out one time a night to do comedy all week, one night a week, uh, you might get a lucky break. Everyone, if you go out tw- two times a week, you increase your chances of getting a lucky right. break. By a hundred percent. If you go out twice, if you go out five times, now you've increased your chance of getting a lucky break five hundred percent because you're going out five times a week instead of one. So you put yourself in the position to get a lucky break. So if you're out there hustling, you're around where the breaks are going to happen. If you're sitting at home going, "I want to be a big shot comedian," I'm waiting for a break at home. Totally. That's not going to happen. You have to go out where the breaks are happening. You have to work hard. You have to so because so what. When you when I say put your mind on what you want, it's like so. When I say I want an hour special, I think I can actually deserve it. I yes. think I actually deserve this thing. So now what that means is now I'm going to act like it. Well, if you act like you deserve it, that means you're going to go do things that, that, that will enable that, that to happen because you think you should because you think you deserve it. Now somebody who thinks oh that's too big for me to dream, I'm not going to dream that. Well, then you won't do the things that would lead to that because you think that's too big of a thing. So I think it has more to do with how it affects you and your actions, what you, you know, your mind, where you put your mind, the seat or quote unquote, the secret. I think it has more to do on how it affects your own actions. I, I do completely 100% agree in that I can take what you're saying and say, okay, so if you are in a refugee camp or if you are in a, a Holocaust, you know, of some sort right. and you are keeping yourself alive to the extent that you can. Mm-hmm. This is not, not you know, this is, this is excluding the fact that you could get shot at any moment. But if you yourself are keeping yourself alive, you are more likely to try to find ways to keep yourself alive and therefore you may be more likely to get out. So right. I do see how like positive perception in any situation will help your life. And therefore, those of us who are lucky enough to not be in that situation, to like have all these opportunities to succeed and do what we want, then yes, positive perception. I, I do know that I self-sabotage in ways that I don't even 
see because I'm so talented and I have so much experience and yet I don't succeed to the next level and I always think well what is it that's that's holding me back and I don't really know the answer and I think that that makes sense what you're saying is is the positive part well there's this thing uh there's this Buddhist saying I think it's Buddhist might might be not but I heard it from a guy who was a Buddhist and he said uh remember you tend to go where you look you tend to reap what you sow and you tend to get what you expect so I and that's and I looking backwards on my life that is so true. You get what you expect. Expectation has everything to do with. So if you expect to be somewhere yes. and to do something, it you know when you see these people, oh that guy's not talented. How come he has that? Cuz he expected to have that. He thinks he deserves to have that. Right. Right. His he's opened his brain big enough to allow that in. And that's all it I, I, to me that's why I, there's really a lot to that. There you know, now, you expected to have your own talk show, which you do, the Jimmy Dore Show, mm-hmm. and you do the podcast once a week for three hours a week. Well, I, I had a, I started a podcast called Comedy and Everything Else with Todd Glass and yeah. Steph Zamorano. Back Todd in Glass two- is another comedian, and so mm-hmm. is Steph, who's very, very funny, and also happens to be married to you, which you were lucky about. Mm-hmm. And so that was that started, I think, in two thousand eight. We started doing that, and so uh, I, that kind of that one. Then I started the Jimmy Dore Show, I think, in two thousand nine. Which did is, you did you have a falling out with Todd? Oh, he, we just moved on. Okay. And we, you know, he was on the show for sixty episodes. I ended up doing one hundred and eighty episodes. Oh wow. Okay. So we, and then at one hundred and eighty, I just that's when I right around one hundred and seventy, I got the web series with the Young Turks. Yes. So and then it was just too much to do to do three shows. So that one where I interview comedians, I feel like, well, I've done this one. Yeah, absolutely. I got one hundred and eighty in the can. If you want to hear me talk to comedians, come hear it. Yes. So here it is. I, and I talked to all, all, all the comedians, Pat Oswalt, Jim Gaffigan, everybody except for maybe Louis C.K. We had Norm MacDonald on, Janine Garofalo, and Zach Galifianakis. He, he, we didn't get him on. But we got just about everybody else on. You know, Paul F. Tompkins and Doug Benson. and So then I started doing the Jimmy Dore show, which is a more topical kind of comedy where we talk about go a little in-depth into stories. So that's the Jimmy Dore show radio show, which is also a podcast. And then there's a web series. Uh, at T- at the Young Turks Comedy Channel, it's also called the Jimmy Dore Show. That's with the you know it's basically the Jimmy Dore Show in front of cameras, but it's usually me and Ben Mankiewicz, which is uh, from Turner Classic Movies. Ben Mankiewicz is um, is a Hollywood royalty. Yes, yes. His father wrote uh, Citizen Kane, or his grandfather. Grandfather wrote yeah, Citizen yeah. Kane. His father helped create NPR. Yeah. Oh, really? And his great uncle was also a huge yes, Hollywood legend. Yes, his great uncle, too. Big Shot. And mm-hmm. then he and Ben Lyons took over for Siskel and Ebert. Siskel and Ebert. Ben Mankiewicz took that over for a little while. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's who Ben Mankiewicz is. A great guy. It turns out he's really funny. Yes. So I had him on as a guest just because I knew him from the Young Turks. And I was like, hey, you want to sit on my show one day? So he sat in and he was great. And I was like, hey, you want to do it again? So he did it again. He was great. Because a lot of times people will be great once and then suck. So in all, in all, in all seriousness, I have to ask if your greatest achievement is I mean, the Jimmy Dore Show is broadcast nationally through Pacifica right. Network. So How it's on ex- WBAI in New York. It's on KPFK in Los Angeles. and Alaska. How excited were you to know that it's in Wasilla? It was in Wasilla. That was fun. <laughs> I that was thought nice that to must know. have been your greatest That achievement. was great. It was right up there. It was great. <laughs> Just knowing that Sarah Palin is going to hear exactly how you feel about her. Yeah. Must have been really- I don't think she tunes into to the public radio in Wasilla. Do you? I don't think so. I don't think she turns into anything. Really, you don't think she listens to Howard Stern? Ha! <laughs> Probably, you know, that's funny. Wouldn't that be funny to find out that Sarah Palin and those people all listen to Howard Stern and watch porno? I feel like she does. Now, okay, 
the marijuana log seems like a total departure for you. <laughs> you. You helped write and star in. But what happened was, so my comedy was mostly just regular comedy. When I, you know, got into stand-up comedy, it didn't turn like topical or social critic until like 2005, 2006. That's what I was asking before. When did yeah. you find your voice as a So what happened was I had gotten, I hurt my back. And uh, I was having some problems and I couldn't walk, I couldn't, I was like limping and I couldn't walk around that well for a while. So I was staying at home a lot more and watching television, sitting on my couch, popping Vicodins and watching television. And I couldn't, cause I, I hadn't watched television for probably 10 years because I was a busy comedian out every night doing comedy. I'm not watching television. And then I was watching television and I could not believe it. How bad the news was, how bad the TV shows were, how bad the reality show, I couldn't believe it. And it was just like, I was like, wow, I wish I had a TV show that I could talk about how bad TV is. <laughs> and this is before the internet. This is before YouTube. So so right around 2005, yeah, The Daily Show existed, yes. And then uh, and then the YouTube was invented in, I think, 2005. Yeah. And then uh, I think the UCB Theater opened in maybe 2005. In L.A. In it L.A. in New York. In maybe 2005. I think a little later. Or right? maybe, yeah. yeah. And they asked me if I wanted to do a show. Because uh, I had known Matt and Matt from in, from Chicago. That's where they started. And then when they came out, they go, Jimmy, do you want to... that's where you started? In Chicago, yeah. yeah. That's where I started stand-up. And they said, Jimmy, you want to do a show? And I, and I was, of course, I knew to say yes. I go, yeah, sure, I'll do a show. And then, of course, I was scared. Yeah, I went home. You knew the yes and the, the mm-hmm. improv. Ah, isn't that funny? Audience. But I had never done my own show. It was just a stand-up, right? So I'd only, I had done the marijuana logs, but I didn't create that. I had just ri- written a little bit for it. And, uh, and I performed in it. I got to perform in it. So I'd never really created... I didn't know what to do. It scared the hell out. I have to do my own show for a whole hour, just me, not doing stand-up. What am I going to do? And then I had the idea, well, I could take these video clips that I'm watching on television from the things that drive me crazy and just show them to people. And then they could get outraged like I get outraged. And so that's what I had, that was my show. I called it Pop and Politics. So I would make fun of pop culture and what was happening in politics. Because it was also the Iraq war was happening. I couldn't believe how the media had rolled over. And uh, so the whole thing. So that's how it started. Do you feel like the oversaturation in political comedy has helped or hurt? Do you feel like it like opened? Pe- in some ways, I feel like it's created a genre that people feel so much more I think that. interested in. I think that. I think guys like Louis Black, John Stewart, Stephen Colbert have uh, really helped. Even Bill Maher has. Uh, oh, yeah. He's only out once a week, though, you know. But, uh, but yeah, he's really. Yeah, that's really helped. The fact that helps that they're funny. You know, it used to be, you know. Mark Russell, that PBS comedian. People think, look, I go, ah, yuck. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, no. It can be really, really stirring. It can be really mo- a lot of fun because... It, it, it almost know. was like a rebirth because I'll look back in time and there were, like the Smothers Brothers were really politically they active got kicked and really off. funny. I know, but, and they got kicked off for it. But, but it, it did feel like this resurgence and then it took it to a whole new level. And I think what's exciting is all of these comedians, including yourself, were getting excited about the issues as you were producing the comedy of it. So it feels fresh. It doesn't feel, because there are times when you'll go see someone and you're like, I can't stand listening to this person anymore. Even though I totally agree with them politically. Yeah, 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 I'm yes. actually gonna like yeah. go vote No, they have direction. to be, well, the thing is you, you know, I've seen comedians go up and just kind of uh, say what, uh, uh, talk about an issue or something uh, in, in a way that the, the audience agrees with them, but they're not being particularly funny about it. And, and comedy crowds will still hate you even yeah. if they agree with you, if you're not funny. Right. And people will often say to me, why? But when you go to the South, you have a hard time. No, you know why? Because I'm doing comedy when yeah. I go there. I'm not, yeah. I'm not giving them a lecture. I'm, not try- I'm doing comedy. I'm being mm-hmm. funny. 
Yes. I'm actually going to come into the room and be funny. Wait, so the marijuana logs, did that come out of a, a deep love of yours for anything in particular? Marijuana. <laughs> so, yeah, I had uh, I was a late bloomer. I, I, I got to, I was like 28 years old, and I was like, I can't drink anymore because the hangovers were killing me, you know? Yeah. And then my friend gave me a pot cookie, and I was like, this is the greatest thing in the world. And that was it. I kind of had stopped drinking, and I started to doing pot. Doing pot sounds like my grandpa. I'm doing. Are you guys doing the pot? You have the coolest grandpa in the world. Yeah. He was like, I'm doing pot. So, um, so that was it, and that was I don't know what year that was. That was probably in, yeah, like '93 or something, four maybe. Can I tell you something? I once went to a UCB party, and I thought it was really rude of this guy on New Year's to be selling cookies. He was having a bake sale, and I was like, that is so rude. These are your friends, and so he got so annoyed with me that he gave me cookies and I ate all the cookies because I was a little insecure at comedy parties you can be I can you didn't know they were pot cookies I spent this is my new year's I'm not kidding oh you idiot I spent the entire evening walking around New York City trying to broker peace between Kissinger and Carter out of both sides of my mouth and I lived in a studio apartment my friend was visiting you were out of your mind I had to stay in the bathroom until I cut it out (laughs) that was my new year's oh my god that stuff is very very strong (laughs) You sound like Judy Gold's mom when you said that. That stuff is very strong, Judy. Very, very strong. What are they putting in that pot? Um, pot. It's been a great time speaking with you about your career. I'm excited to watch and listen to more episodes of the Jimmy Dore Show. And um, where can people see you next if they want to see you live? They should go to your website, JimmyDore.com. Yeah, JimmyDoreComedy.com. Somebody stole JimmyDore.com from me. Probably someone named Jimmy Dore. No, it was uh, my asshole web guy. At the, he was a criminal, and so when, <laughs> yeah, Sorry. and he stole and he stole it, and he want, he tried to. He goes, I'll, I'll sell it back to you for five hundred bucks, and I was like, fuck you. I'm going Jimmy Dore comedy. I'm not paying you any money for that, you ass. So I didn't. So somebody, so that guy still. I don't. Know, he probably resold it to a business or something. You know, one of those companies that buys webs web addresses so anyway so yeah it's Jimmy Dore comedy so the moral of the story for people who are opening up uh, their own websites is is to what buy their own domain names yeah but I had I did buy it but then you have to renew them all the time like you can't buy yeah. it forever you have to yeah. keep renewing it and so when it came up for renewal he just did it that's what happened with me and Google like I stopped renewing it and then this other company took it and oh look at yeah what they're doing <laughs> Thank you so much, Jimmy Dore. It was great to have you on. I didn't know what you meant for a second. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to another episode of Employee of the Month. I want to thank Joel Arnold. I want to thank all of you for listening. and want to ask that if you can, definitely donate. You can donate at employeeofthemonthshow.com. Again, that's employeeofthemonthshow.com. Donate 20 bucks. That's lunch. That is one lunch for the day. And it can even be two lunches for the day, actually, if you get Thai food. In fact, that could be lunch and dinner. I mean, you don't need to eat two lunches in the day. So you could get, like, two Thai food lunch specials and then have one for dinner. And look what you've done. You've fed, you've fed a talk show host for the day. Definitely do it. Definitely check out more episodes. Subscribe on iTunes. And much more importantly, try to enjoy your job. And if you don't enjoy it, try to figure out what it is that you want to be doing with your life because... This is all the time you've got. This is all the time we've got uh, until the next episode. <laughs>